Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapists next door. Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional, sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. This week, we welcome Yulia Golubev, who works as a psychotherapist. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing a healthcare professional each episode, asking questions that you want the answers to, and answering questions you didn't know you had. I'm Joanna, a board-certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I am a white, straight, cisgendered female, and my pronouns are she, hers, and I am going on another road trip. (sighs) Yeah. For those that didn't hear, Joanna recently drove through 30 states. <laughs> she's <laughs> and she's going to go hit some of them again. Awesome. Yep. And I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I'm a straight cis white woman and my pronouns are she, her. And I uh, cried this morning during the episode of 30 Rock with Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> oh, I love that one. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's so sweet. He's so aware of himself. Ugh, I, know. I know it's I know it's written, but some of it's true. Biographical, right? Yeah. I bought a <laughs> I you. bought a deck of 30 rock playing cards in Palm Springs. I don't uh-huh. think they're licensed, but um, <laughs> I was super excited to find them. I, I can't believe it popped up on Netflix again. I thought it was I thought it was gone for good. It's truly, uh-huh. truly a gift. Yeah. As someone who owns all the DVDs and doesn't want to fish them out of wherever they are. Definitely uh-huh. Are you, Joanna, years ago when you first told me about the show back in like 2014, wow. you told me you would still not watch the last episode. Is that still the case? I think I did watch it once. Okay. Yeah. 30 Rock got me through college. So it, mm-hmm. it holds a special, uh, special place in my heart. Love you, 30 Rock. Love you too. No, no. Thank Thirty you. Rock as a show did not answer you, but <laughs> but I'm if sure only, you could. Please. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Not much else going on over here. Uh, it's been cooler. The weather has been nice. <laughs> you know? My walks in the morning are significantly less uncomfortable. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going on another road trip. Uh, driving yes, all the way that. to the Chicago area. Uh, for my friend's wedding um I didn't want to fly because I'm in the wedding so I also don't want to like get COVID so I didn't want to be on an airplane right now again yes safety Um, is important yeah and it's gonna we're not taking our dog this time so Mm -hmm. it's gonna be strange and freeing to not have an animal that constantly needs our attention (laughs) because that's how she is can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, you don't have to reveal too much about your pup, but like why maybe the trip was challenging? <laughs> uh, she has separation anxiety and mm. uh, I don't, I, I figured that being in the same like 
10 cubic feet as us would be fine, but she wanted to be on our laps and she wanted to look out the front window. <sighs> so she would try to crawl into the front seat, which is very dangerous, you know, because she's not a tiny dog. She's mm-hmm. quite large ish. She's medium to large. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was like, you know, the person not driving had to just like hold their hand like back for a while. We put her in the way back of the car. She climbed all the way up. Um, so there was definitely like almost a breakdown on the side of the road in Indiana. Uh, but we figured it out with our uh, behaviorist, who's also a dog psychologist, mm-hmm. um, psychiatrist. And we also then sat in the back with her. So she was less upset. I like that she was trying to implement like some solution focused uh, behavioral <laughs> model. She's like, no, I'm just going to come up here. It's, it's, it's yeah. what will solve my problem. Yeah. I like, I don't um, mind her sitting on my lap, but like not for two hours. You no, know, no way. I had my photo shoot yesterday for Zen Care. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How did it go? It went as well. I, I mean, people do this professionally not photography. Well, obviously, but like people model and act and just sit in front of a camera and are photographed. And how are they just not constantly drenched in sweat? Five seconds into <laughs> it, I was like, what is happening? Why am I, why am I so uncomfortable? I really, oh, when I signed up for this, so Zen Care for those listening is a, is a referral, um, a r- online referral source much like psychology today an inclusive therapist, but it's like a much easier um, interface to use. And you find folks that are much, a much better match for you. And there's not 20,000 therapists to sift through, (laughs) which is wonderful. And they also provide you with a little extra charge, a professional photographer and videographer. And the woman came into my home, into my home office, and she was amazing. And she, she really made me feel comfortable automatically. But it was it was a very strange situation and I couldn't stop talking about how strange it was, which, as you guessed it, <laughs> always makes it better and always makes everyone comfortable. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I was yeah. thinking this morning, like if I had to make a video, I would be so uh, incredibly awkward because like I can't it took me like 20 tries to make my like outgoing message for my mm-hmm. phone. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. And Yeah. Yeah, I had the same problem with that too. But in my case, it was because tractor trailers are loud outside of my window. So, so yeah, that's that. I'm very happy that that's behind me. Yeah, <laughs> very happy that being photographed and also wearing pants that fit me was <laughs> behind <laughs> me. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, yeah, that that's that's all caught up on me. Do you have any? Sweeping of the floors, any housekeeping? So is housekeeping also a place where we can mention things we feel like we should have mentioned in other episodes? Totally. Not necessarily correcting, but we talked a lot about avocado toast in our last episode. And I totally forgot to mention that I picked avocados on my trip, like with this huge stick. It's got like a little... Like a sickle? Age. No, no. You should have said yes. Sorry, yes. It's like a very long pole vaulting stick. Uh, with a cage at the top and you and it's got claws on the top of the cage and you just put it around the avocado and pull down you have to pull down very hard but um, friends of ours have a beautiful avocado tree in their backyard and uh, I got to pick the avocado and eat it and it was great (gasps) like I put it on a bagel with um, 
cream cheese. That sounds wonderful. How did it feel being reunited with a pole vault stick? It felt fine. I mean, okay, it's been good. like, you know, 20 years almost. So not 20 okay. years almost. What am I talking about? I don't know. 15 years almost. I don't know. Hmm. Time. Uh, <laughs> wait, no, 20. Wait. No. I'm so confused. Sorry. What year did you graduate high One school? One plus two is three. Okay. I... <laughs> and it's proven. Okay. All right, cool. Yeah. I, I do not have any any keeping of the house. Look I, at those clean floors over there. Very proud. I did I did literally clean the house too much for some for someone to come into it for 30 minutes. But um <laughs> I'd be like, I have to steam clean everything. I did pretty much. Yep. Not exaggerating. Yeah. All right, lovely. <laughs> well, we'll stay tuned after the break for our history lesson. Now it's time for our history lesson. The history lesson is compiled facts in the form of a narrative describing history, good and bad, in order to give context for the field our interviewee works in. Our sources for today, first one is an article entitled Perinatal Mental Illness, Definition, Description, and Etiology by Michael W. O'Hara, PhD, Catherine L. Wisner, MD, MS, Norman and Helen Asher, Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences and Obstetrics and Gynecology. Second article is entitled Sadness and Support, A Short History of Postpartum Depression by Robert Sparks. And our old favorite, wikipedia.org. Trigger warning for today's episode. There is discussion, like most of our episodes, there is discussion about mistreatment of uh, women in treatment, especially mistreatment of pregnant women and recent women who have recently given birth as new mothers and separation from their children. Our definitions for today. First one is perinatal. It relates to the time, usually a number of weeks immediately before and after birth. Perinatal mental illness is a significant complication of pregnancy in the postpartum period. The, disease the diseases include depression, anxiety disorders, and postpartum psychosis, which usually manifests into something that looks similar to bipolar disorder. And our final definition is postpartum, which follows childbirth or the birth of any young thing, which I'm realizing they meant animals, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving on to the history of perinatal mental illness. And I, when speaking with our guest previously, you know, she did let me know a lot of the information you're going to find is about postpartum depression. So I did try my best to find more stuff, but yes, it's very heavy um, on uh, PPD. All right. Controversies and speculation about depressive symptoms following childbirth have existed since the earliest medical literature. Greek physician Hippocrates, born in 370 BCE, dying in 460 BCE, made the first known reference to postpartum depression in the 4th century BCE. And his reflections became the accepted way of viewing this illness, which survived for over a thousand years, which we have heard before. Yeah. Fun fact. Let's just say fact. Yeah, I'm fact. sure it's not going to be fun. <laughs> the methodology applied by Hippocrates heavily influenced modern Western medicine. 
He famously believed that disease should not be, should, excuse me, he famously believed that disease was not a punishment inflicted by the gods, but rather the product of environmental factors, diet, and living habits. He was also known for incorrectly guessing how a lot of anatomy in the human body uh, interacted with each other, but he did not have an x-ray or a CAT scan, yeah. so we will allow that to slide. Hippocrates Let proposed... Time. Sorry. <laughs> Let you pass this time, Hippocrates. <laughs> we will see. We still have some more paragraphs about him. Mm-hmm. Hippocrates proposed that the fluid that comes from the uterus after birth or the lochial discharge, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, could flow to the head, resulting in agitation, delirium, and attacks of mania if suppressed. He also thought that blood collecting at the breasts of a woman could indicate the onset of madness. All right. Another early reference to perinatal mental illness comes from Trotula, the 13th century female physician who believed that perinatal mental illnesses were due to increased moisture in the body following childbirth. She wrote, quote, if the womb is too moist, the brain is filled with water, and the moisture running over the eyes compels them to involuntarily shed tears. Oh, okay. Makes I'm sense now. aggressively shaking my head for those listening. All right. I'm also During- being sarcastic. So. <laughs> we, but we can hear that. Okay, good. During the Middle Ages, women who exhibited melancholy during or after childbirth were thought to be witches or victims of witchcraft. By the 16th century, descriptions existed of the, quote, disturbance of the maternal instinct following childbirth, and most reports were focused on mothers who killed their children. Known as melancholic filicide, these deaths led physicians to increase study of perinatal mental illness, which I suppose is a good outcome. Um, Castello Branco, a well-known 16th century physician, described a case of postpartum melancholy as such, quote, the beautiful wife of Carcinator, who always enjoyed the best of health, was attacked after childbirth by melancholy and remained insane for a month, but discovered but recovered with treatment. Though Bronco does not describe <laughs> what type of treatment he used for the wealthy woman, reports of experimental treatments began to surface over the following centuries. In the mid-19th century, Jean Etu Estriol became one of the first physicians to provide detailed case reports of perinatal, perinatal psychiatric illnesses. He reported 92 cases of postpartum delirium and melancholy and suggested that the number of women suffering from postpartum mental disturbances was likely higher than the number of cases he observed in mental hospitals. He guessed that mild cases were likely cared for at home and never reached his hospital. Esquirrel suggested treatment that included careful nursing, tepid baths, and purgatives, a common treatment for many medical ailments at the time. Uh, a tepid bath, by the way, is a lukewarm bath, and a purgative or purgative is a laxative. See those typos there? Yeah, good Sorry. job. Okay, thank that you. That would have like thrown me yeah. off. So For the listeners, if we don't delete this, I wrote tepid back and lukewarm back. Okay. <laughs> As for all, like most doctors in the 19th century, believe that two categories of postpartum illness could be defined. Pure parol occurs within six weeks of childbirth, and lactational occurs more than six weeks following the delivery. These categories survived for decades, despite the lack of true scientific evidence for the division. It is important to point out that these days, these two periods of time are now identified as perinatal, one whole time period before birth and after. Around that same time, an American psychiatrist, McDonald, 
objected to the rigid classification of puerperal mental illness based on time of onset and proposed classifying diagnoses based on acuteness of onset symptoms. Symptoms observed included low energy, restlessness, sleeplessness, and irritability. His treatments also included tepid baths, here we go, specifically given between 94 and 98 degrees Fahrenheit, as well as large doses of opium to calm the mind. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Much like tepid baths and purgatives, opium was given for a variety of ailments at the time. In 1858, Luis Victor Marseille published the first formal paper devoted entirely to purpural mental illness entitled Treatise on Insanity in Pregnant, Postpartum, and Lactating Women. He wrote of 310 cases of pregnant and postpartum women that he had personally observed and became and became the first to systematically address categor- categorization of their disorders. In his results, he reported that 9% of women developed depression during pregnancy, 58% in the puerperal period, and 33% in the lactational period. Marseille noted that no major features distinguishing the psychoses of pregnancy from those those in women in the non-pregnant state. However, he believed that postpartum cases of depression had many features that distinguished them from other mental illnesses and proposed that this should indeed be classified as a separate diagnosis. In line with Hippocrates and Trotula before him, Marseille hypothesized that postpartum psychological symptoms were the result of the profound organic and functional changes occurring in the female reproductive system following childbirth. During the 19th century, treatments for PPD changed with the medical ideas of that era. Many at the time suggested bleeding as a way to reduce inflammation and eliminate excess fluid in the body. We need blood, though. Uh, yes. Similarly, <laughs> similarly, many recommended opium to calm the mind. Restraints and separation from the women's infant were also popular. These were immortalized in Charlotte Perkins Gilman's story, The Yellow Wallpaper. Gilman tells the story about a young woman suffering from strange thoughts following the birth of her child. The woman's husband places the woman in a room at a summer home away from her child to help her improve. Not surprisingly, rather than getting better, she proceeds to become more delusional. Following World War II, many psychiatrists began studying milder forms of perinatal psychiatric illness. It was noted that women often did not seek care for postpartum mental illness due to fears of being placed in a psychiatric hospital and separated from their husbands and children, as it had once been common practice. In the late 1940s, however, psychiatric wards in Britain and Australia began successfully incorporating mother and baby units where mothers suffering from PPD could receive care while remaining close to their infants. I think that's so nice. I hope that they were I hope that they were nice places. I think that's such a wonderful idea to implement. I hope it was humane. Me too. Mm. In the later 20th century, many of the ideas and treatments that are still prevalent today began to develop, often building on the ideas of earlier physicians while incorporating new scientific research techniques. In 1968, Bryce Pitt described, quote, atypical depression in the postpartum. He was one of the first modern studies to draw attention to depressions that were, quote, less severe than postpartum psychosis. Pitt's study was designed in response to the work of community health visitors who went to check on new mothers in their homes after discharge from the hospital following childbirth. These nurses reported to him that many women dealt with varying degrees of depression following birth, but most did not seek treatment. 
His large cohort study was the first community-based study of depression in the postpartum, and he found that approximately 10.8% of women in the cohort suffered PPD. He called the depression, quote, atypical because the symptom profile was somewhat different from non-postpartum depression. Okay, so what we're noticing is some changes in how physicians viewed these illnesses. At first, they thought, oh, they're all the same. I mean, melancholy across the board, especially for women, it all looks the same. And now they're starting to draw some differences that may be more organic than situational or both. Um, But they are also still thinking that any psychotic symptoms are, uh, you know, the same. Let's talk a little bit about how it presented in other parts of the world. All right. In addition to the Western observations of PPD, many studies have shown that postpartum blues and postpartum psychosis occurs in fairly uniform ways across cultures. Perinatal mental illnesses vary depending on cultural demands placed on women postpartum, but most cultures have forms of perinatal mental illness that vary and various beliefs about its causes. In Uganda, for example, there is a recognized puerperal mental illness called, quote, um, Amakiro, end quote, which is believed to be caused by promiscuity of the mother during pregnancy. Symptoms, uh, symptoms of Amakiro include restlessness, pallor, and mental confusion, as well as the notion that the mother wants to eat her baby. Oh, wow. I know. In Nigeria, there is a postpartum mental illness known as Abisiwin, which is believed to be caused by too much heat in the body. Cross-cultural research has also pointed out that Western cultures often place high demands on women to reintegrate quickly into society following childbirth. While other cultures may keep women at rest or in seclusion while other women take care of, take care of the new baby. Some have, some have hypothesized that this social requirement for women to return to work and other stressful environments quickly following the birth of a child may contribute to higher rates of perinatal mental illness in Western culture. Something I am noticing about this is that I, I think any Western uh, writing is very quick to demonize any any uh, any culture that is in like from a black or excuse me, there's a fly from like a black or brown society. Excellent. But they're also very lightly touching on like, oh well, you know, Western mothers might just be stressed. When in reality, the way we treat the way we treat um, women who have just given birth and having them come into work immediately or not have a caregiver assistance is pretty uh, egregious yeah all right thanks for listening <laughs> the idea first proposed many years back by marseille proceeded well before him by hippocrates and trotula trotula and developed by others in the early 20th, 20th century that perinatal mental illness is likely related to hormonal changes in the perinatal period has become a leading theory in perinatal mental illness research during recent years Studies have shown that artificially inducing the hormonal changes associated with postpartum periods significantly increases risk of developing depression. Other studies have identified additional important risk factors for perinatal mental illness, such as stressful life events, family history of mood disorder, and personal history of depression. Until the 1990s, most psychiatric organizations still espoused the idea that there were not enough unique features in perinatal mental illness to warrant a separate disease categorization in psychiatric diagnostic manuals. However, much current literature challenges the, quote, postpartum definition in four weeks following birth and suggests that perinatal mental illness may still appear even months after giving birth. 
In addition to at least some formal recognition of perinatal mental illness as a unique entity, treatment for depression in general also greatly improved in the 1990s. And that medications, excuse me, and the medications developed have also been successful in improving symptoms of PPD. Antidepressant medications came into widespread use for PPD in the late 1990s. I think that I think that is it Prozac was the first one that was introduced in 1989. Not sure. Yeah, so that was like right. it's like when it started. Wow. All right. <laughs> Uh, So in in our modern understanding of perinatal mental health, uh, you know, in the last decade, there has been widely increased focus on the prevention of PPD via support groups and therapy. Screening at postpartum obstetrics visits and initial newborn visits to a pediatrician are now increasingly commonplace. And with the stories of Brooke Shields and other famous women in the mainstream media and less formal outlets on the Internet, there has been much wider acceptance in society of women who are not perfectly happy following the birth of a child. Increased discussion of the condition has led to more support and the beginnings of a reduction in stigma for women who suffer from perinatal mental illness. Recent advances in this area include the Melanie Blocker Stokes Act, which provides government funding for research and advocacy for perinatal mental illness in the United States. Legislation in New Jersey mandating screening symptoms as well as a surge in popularity of blogs and support groups related to perinatal mental illness, such as Catherine Stone's Postpartum Progress and the Postpartum Support International Group. Recent research indicates that nearly 70 to 80% of women suffer from some depressive symptoms within the first two weeks following delivery. These depressive symptoms are now widely recognized as manifesting in various ways with varying degrees of severity. Tearfulness and mood lability seems seen soon after birth in many women has become known as the postpartum or baby blues. The postpartum blues are considered a, quote, normal reaction to giving birth. However, some women experience true major depressive episodes in the weeks and months following birth that are more persistent, manifesting as a loss of pleasure, interest, sleep, and self-worth. In these episodes that are referred to as PPD, estimated to affect 10 to 13% of women during the postpartum period. Finally, beyond the postpartum blues and major depressive episodes, about one or two in a thousand women develop cognitive disturbances, bizarre behavior or hallucinations, and a severe condition known as postpartum psychosis. While many barriers, including stigma, still exist that limit this access for perinatal women, Further research and advocacy in this area will continue to improve treatment and access to care for women suffering from depressive symptoms following childbirth. Nice job. Thanks. I also want to recommend, I don't know the name of it off the top of my head. That'll be our housekeeping for next week. But uh, Mm -hmm. Louis Thoreau has an excellent, I think it's a two-part documentary where he goes to, um, it's, you know, it's part of a hospital in Britain that specializes in, uh, postpartum psychosis and it's it's a place where mothers and babies can be together in treatment um it's a really really good uh it's a it's a it's an amazing documentary awesome i wrote that down for next week yes all right join us after the break we will talk to yulia golubev about working as a psychotherapist Welcome back, everybody. Yulia Golubev is a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York. 
She is a seasoned bilingual bicultural psychotherapist who has been seeing clients for over 14 years. She has been running her private practice since 2017. Prior to starting her private practice, Yulia worked with a diverse set of clients in a variety of clinical settings, including college counseling, outpatient substance abuse programs, crisis call centers, and hospitals. Yulia has provided a spectrum of clinical services, including individual, group, family therapies, crisis intervention, and supervision. Yulia is passionate about professional advocacy and teaching. Awesome. She served one term as the professional development chair and vice president for the New York City chapter of the New York Mental Health Counseling Association. She is a part-time adjunct professor at St. Francis College, and she teaches undergraduate classes of general psychology and child and adolescent development. Yulia enjoys volunteering to decrease, excuse me, Yulia also enjoys volunteering to decrease the stigma of mental health. She lives with her family in Brooklyn. When not in the office, she enjoys discovering new hiking trails, strolling NYC neighborhoods, and going to the theater and trying new recipes. Welcome, Yulia. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> yes, we are so happy to have you. And what an impressive, what yeah. an impressive amount of things uh, you have done and you do still. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah and Johanna, for inviting me. Absolutely. We are thrilled to have you. So, Yulia, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, sure. So, I'm a psychotherapist, New York City psychotherapist. I run my uh, private practice. Uh, I'm I'm seeing folks uh, who've been struggling with anxiety, depression, low self-esteem. I primarily work with the young adults, college students, and help them to navigate the relationship, friendship, uh, relationship with the family, with extended family, establish their career, navigate the challenges in the career. Yeah, and also navigate dating. That's one of my specialty. I also work uh, under umbrella of perinatal mental health. So I work with clients on the different uh, stages of journey uh, with the parenthood. So I work with clients who've been struggling with infertility. I work with clients who experience miscarriage or loss. I work with clients trying to bring some clarity. Do they want to be parents or they don't want to be parents, right? Uh, do they feel pressure to be parents, right? And where this coming from? Yeah, and I also work uh, with mothers uh, who experience postpartum depression, anxiety, anxiety during the pregnancy, after pregnancy. That's wow. I, it's so important to work with birth trauma, and I love that that field is emerging. Thankfully, but what a yeah. what a good part of your work is also to just like kind of let people know they don't have to, you know, follow through with maybe something they've been pressured into doing and just kind of yeah. letting them know they actually have options. That's, yeah, that's really true. important. So true. Yeah, there's always options, right? And I yeah. help uh, the clients to untangle this clarity that mm. we all have inside of us <laughs> with some yep. sort of experience, right? We might, we might lost our intuition, right? Or we might tell ourselves, I don't know what to do, right? Or I'm scared, right? Or I feel stuck. So we kind of go into the deep dive, like what the stuck point, right? And um, the clients experience more clarity and they come to, re- to their own decision, what's going to be good for them. <laughs> yeah 
I love the sound of that. Yeah. It's amazing that you offer that support as someone who's probably going on the journey of parenthood soon. It's just nice to know that all of these things are available because it's very, very scary. Yeah, absolutely. And I also forgot that I also passionate helping uh, couples for parents to reclaim the connection that they might lost through this parenting journey (laughs) trying to navigate the demanding career or life in New York City. It's very demanding and stressful by itself. Yeah, so kind of have a safe space, notice, bring awareness, what area of the life maybe need more attention. That's great. I, of the I, life we may be focusing more, like how's it oh. impacting us? Yeah, like yeah that's that. not <laughs> something that's encouraged for new parents. Is that like person-centered? Like, what do you need and want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, that's, yeah. that's wonderful. And you know, the funny thing, it should not be only first parents. It can happen on a different journey of the parenthood. Mm-hmm. Right? I work with the clients who have multiple kids and with uh, different stages of the journey, new challenges comes. It may be the challenges taking care of themselves as a parent, mm-hmm. right? Or noticing the lost connection as a partner, right? Or showing up for themselves. That's a big one. It's very human, yeah. <laughs> right? Or being assertive and communicate your needs to your partner, to your kids, right? mm-hmm. or to yourself. Oh, that's incredible. Yes. Thank you so much. We got all we could out of that answer. I know. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about how the pandemic has affected your job day to day. Oh, yeah, it's for <laughs> sure. <laughs> In fact, as you know, I'm from Brooklyn, New York City. And as you probably folks know, New York City has been impacted pretty badly. The amount of losses, devastation the numbers of people that we lost, all this um, helplessness and hopelessness. I remember when I saw the red ship coming to New York City, it felt surreal. It felt like a nightmare. I forgot about that. My God. Yeah. yeah. Or another another memory that I have, I live like five minutes drive from the major hospital. So Mm -hmm. I remember when it was the lockdown, uh, everybody stayed home. So just hearing this ambulance sound on and off, day oh. at night, and it was yeah. like crippling silence. Yeah. <laughs> that was so neurotic. So it's definitely impacted me on the many levels as mm-hmm. a human, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? As a therapist, as a partner, uh, as a parent, right? And kind of making a joke having full house at home <laughs> most of my partner and me work from home our kids mm-hmm. study online so navigating these challenges right and feeling so humble and privileged that I can provide valuable services during pandemic it did not impact me financially the service is needed it's so much appreciated and kind of experience this honor like witnessing uh, my clients developing resilience skills mm-hmm. to deal with this pandemic, fears, health, anxiety, or navigating working from home, or navigating uh, social um, isolation, right, is a big thing. And kind of going through the kind of similar experience, what's interesting, it's like, the, I think this is the first time the therapist and the clients go through pretty much similar experience. And mm-hmm. it's not something... Um, it's some, not something distance 
it's like right there <laughs> doing this together and yeah it, it was very human experience so this vulnerability fears right on the both sides and this vulnerabilities and fears was a place or grows a place for trust mm-hmm. amazing yeah yeah I know I and our question I, I'm so glad that you actually you also answered just like personally how it affected you because yes as therapists you know we we experienced a lot of burnout or we we did it was hard but like we got to m- like make money and provide for ourselves but just what our senses were being affronted with pretty pretty constantly like Yulia when you mentioned the ambulances um also remembering last year during during some of the uprisings too joanna and i were both living in philly and i remember there were about three weeks where i just constantly heard chopper blades Mm -hmm. and like obviously you know not too dissimilar but not as intrusive and invasive as um as what we're talking about with ambulance uh the horns but yeah just what we were what we were met with with the change what our bodies had to just kind of adjust to yeah, was yeah oh, another personal experience uh brooklyn if you've ever been in brooklyn if not definitely mm-hmm. come we <laughs> 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 have to meet up someday right but of course you know, it, it's very hectic in terms of driving uh, and it definitely I remember, is <laughs> like the road where i live nearby like 5 p.m 6 p.m it's packed with traffic Mm-hmm. And I, I recall, I recall this memory, like going to this road and see no cars, like you can walk, you can bike. It was kind of crippling and scary. Absolutely. And it was, it felt so surreal. I feel like it's like a horror movie. Right? So the, the funny thing, because I like to bring the humor in my work and in my life. So nice. our kids are very active and they were running around in the living room. So our TV got broken <laughs> and we didn't oh buy God. the new ones. So we kind of have this diet from the news. And I was like very careful, like what I'm reading online and how much like I want to mm-hmm. engage the conversation about the numbers, because whether I'm engaged or not, the numbers was going up to at a certain point right so that was the funny thing (laughs) (laughs) I do value humor so (laughs) yeah and you you kind of segued us into our next question which is how is your personality represented in the work that you do yeah yeah I think like my uh, personal experience like I'm very down-to-earth person I like humor and I like the practical solution but again this uh, this is a very fine line because i also for example my practical solution part i have to track it (laughs) during the session so it doesn't go overboard or notice Mm -hmm. in this part right in the session right so uh, i was raised and born uh, in belarus Uh, that's a part of former soviet union in collectivistic culture so being born and raised over there and kind of living in the collectivistic culture that's very tiny and that's i bring to my work in terms of i help the client to develop that community or the village uh, besides the therapy so what the resources that you can use right whether it's a peer support uh, whether it's some social hobby, right? Whether it's a meetup, uh, something that's useful, whether it's uh, a certain activity that you're gonna do, right? That's gonna bring you new connection, right? 
So that's I always bring because it's I really love uh, the fact that we don't have to put all eggs in one basket and kind of have the multitude of outlets. So noticing these outlets in your life and also noticing what's stopping you from trying or what worries you have that it may not going to work. What's your prediction? And kind of doing the experiment or bringing some curiosity, seeing what's going to happen. That, that's beautiful, first of all. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much for that. And yeah. I, it's in our last episode, we were talking about how, you know, it's theorized that the really heavy individualism that we have in this country can lead to burnout uh, a lot more quickly. And it's it's so lovely to hear you saying that you like implement that village for people like yeah, you encourage that community absolutely. and that's so true especially uh we, we've been talking about you've been doing um intro about perinatal mental health right mm-hmm. uh it, it's almost impossible and irrational how much pressure the parents are yeah. faced or the family faced or the mom and dad faced doing on their own not asking for help not to delegate certain activities and not only that feeling always happy about it and energized <laughs> yeah yeah so if we're gonna go back to the history how uh, about ch- child care right we can definitely see it was never was like women stay or men stay in apartment and the four walls taking care of the child it was always collective mm-hmm. right so I, I like to bring some humor right if you're gonna put any person in the four walls and ask, okay, this is going to be the job. <laughs> and, and you're going to be sleep deprived, right? And you're gonna, not going to be able to take shower. Yeah. I wonder what's going to come out. <laughs> Fair. That's a very good question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I like to normalize. I like to normalize. Mm. Yeah. And I, I kind of see the person who's sitting in front of me, a human, the same human as I am. And we all have vulnerabilities, but the same as strengths and weaknesses, mm-hmm. right? So, Kind of like on the human uh, side, it's kind of mm-hmm. normal to feel this way, right? Or it's normal to experience this emotion. Or it's normal to feel stress. Okay, now when we bring some awareness to your feelings, emotions, what can we do about it? What's going to be some outlets? And it can be some internal outlets. Uh, noticing your inner critic that we all have. Right? Mm-hmm. Noticing the perfectionist tendency, how it's supposed to be, right? Or look like. And it can be also some external things, right? Some activities that you're going to do, right? Or some activities that you may not going to do. <laughs> and right. notice how it's impacting you, right? Or notice this urge that's want to take, to do, do everything by yourself. And don't act on this urge. Let this urge hang out with you for a while. <laughs> oh, that's that's yeah. wonderful. Like from like a like a psychoanalytic perspective, you're also offering some reparenting. You know, just yeah. giving permission to feel things and giving them permission to yeah. think things and not punishing them for that. Yeah. I mean, regardless of anybody's parental child experience, for sure. That's yeah. something that so many adults need. Yeah, the safe space. It's a mm-hmm. healing, it's number one healing factor in a psychotherapy yeah. relationship, right? And I also mm-hmm. like to do different experiments in a session. Like notice when you tell yourself this phrase, I have to do everything. Like notice what's coming up for you. How does it make you feel? Mm-hmm. Notice when you change this phrase a little bit. 
what's coming up for you. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. All right, what do you think is difficult about being a therapist? And on the other side of that, what do you love? Yeah, great question. I think this question has been changing as my journey with my profession has been changing, right? So my journey is not static, it's always evolving, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So I'm sorry, what was easy you said, you asked me? Uh, difficult and what do you love? Okay, so what was difficult? Okay, mm -hmm. so specifically to run in my private practice, uh, what was difficult, especially at the beginning, and I still experience some difficulties right now, of course. But at the beginning, it was like the amount of things that I have to do and just feeling overwhelmed and mm -hmm. just telling myself, no way I'm going to be able to do it. This is too scary. This is not my safety zone. And whether it's blogging, whether it's uh, doing my own website, whether it's participating in the podcast, right? If somebody would tell me a year ago, I would say, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> right? Or um, uh, noticing my relationship with finance, noticing my relationship with money, and noticing some stuck point or particular mindset that I developed through the journey of mental health counselor. Mm -hmm. So noticing that, uh, bringing awareness to that, uh, right? So... Yeah, and as far as I'm moving in this journey, certain things becomes easier. So, for example, doing my own website, and it's not perfect. It's far away from perfection, but the fact that I'm uh, able to do certain things, right, or writing a blog, it's really create this boost feeling of confidence <laughs> to tackle other areas. Yeah. I hear you on the blog posting. I, <laughs> I try to do two a month and I'm like, wow, I am, I know what's going on now. <laughs> yeah. and, and what I'm going to say right now, it's resonate. It's probably going to resonate with everybody. Like mm -hmm. uh, doesn't matter what field you work, right. Or what profession you are. Like we all have this part, not good enough, right. Or yeah. this inner critic, right? So this is like very human. It can be manifested in a parenting, in a relationship, in a career, right? In a sitting with the clients, right? So working on this part through my personal therapy, through the, uh, in the group setting, talking about other clinicians, right? And kind of see it's very human and it's common to have these feelings, but these feelings cannot be a stop sign to do uh, next step. Absolutely. Beautifully put. Yeah. Uh, so what drew you into being a therapist? Why are you a therapist? Yeah, so I'm going to go to my personal uh, history, <laughs> which is important, right? So I was born and raised in Belarus, Minsk, as a part of Soviet Union, right? So, and uh, I'm Jewish, so going through some experience of discrimination, whether it's direct, non-direct. Uh, my grandparents both survived World War II, hearing stories about the war, Holocaust, right, coming to the new country. All of that made me very curious and raised lots of question marks about human nature. That eventually led me to my own therapy, right? And uh, I was 
uh, studying psychology back in Belarus. And I remember like we've been having a practicum in a psychiatric hospital. And I remember noticing that besides medication management, they do not offer like no rehabilitation or peer support group. Talk therapy was kind of unknown, right? So coming here and it was, you know, like if the child deprived from from toys growing up and as adult, the child goes like Toys R Us that's do not longer exist. The child may feel, oh my God, wow, I wanted this toy, I wanted that toy, right? So <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what I uh, kind of feeling, wow, the mental health is so different in the United States. There is so many opportunities how to help a person. There are so many different areas and uh, it made me really, it made me really want to continue uh, my study and um, being a therapist or I complete uh, my bachelor, doing my master. Yeah, so that's uh, also what made me to choose this profession. And also seeing people who've been going through mental health in my country and how was like zero or very uh, lack of resources for them and kind of coming, when I came here, like what kind of like repair experience, like what can I do differently right now mm-hmm. right, to help people who needs the services or who needs the support and kind of see the outlets that it's possible, yeah. I, like, I love that visual of you just suddenly seeing all of these cool things that you didn't yeah. know were an option yeah. <laughs> and then just jumping on them. Like, I want, I want to do all of this. Yeah. It's incredible. This is my favorite question. <laughs> what are most people's reactions when you tell them what you do for a living? Yeah, great question. So this question was also evolving or changing as my journey <laughs> with my profession uh-huh. has been changing, right? So I always uh, give this analogy. I like uh, kind of breaking down complicated concept uh, and bring to the simple analogy when they work with my clients. So the analogy that I'm going to use, like imagine uh, somebody going to ask me, what's my name? And I'm going to say, Yulia. I said, no, your name is Emily. I said, no, Yulia. Okay, this is my password. And I'm not going to even have any hard feelings about that, right? Mm-hmm. So going back to my profession, right, when people was asking me, okay, what do you do? Okay, I'm a mental health counselor in substance abuse program. So what do you do? <laughs> right? <laughs> and kind of like, I've been having experience working in nonprofit. And if you know, if you ever been working in nonprofit, it's a lot of burnout. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cases is really huge. And a lot of times you're not involved in the mentor decision. Uh, in terms of providing services for the clients. So going through this, and when somebody asks, so what do you do? It didn't give me the feelings of confidence, of course. <laughs> and when I start, you know, tackling uh, my profession, and it came from the internal confidence. Yes, I can try these things and, and see uh, how it's going to be working. Maybe it's going to be great, maybe not, but we'll see. Uh, we're gonna come we're gonna revisit this later but let me try it right so of course when you're gonna ask me now how i feel about my profession it's a different feelings because inside i totally know that i provide my not mine okay the psychotherapy services is valuable especially Mm -hmm. right now after covid during covid post covid uh the mental health 
field is changing, it's different, it's more diverse. And now I feel in a different uh, place. So I recently, uh, a person asked me, so what do you do? I said, uh, I'm a psychotherapist. And she said, oh, wow, that's so great. I've been seeing therapists recently. It was so helpful. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Yay. What a nice again, change. Again, it's external and internal, right? And mm. I cannot always rely that people are going to say, oh, wow, you're doing a great job, as we do, right? But inside of myself, I feel I'm in a different space. I'm confident. And yeah, I'm, I'm much confident that I used <laughs> before when I started out this field and work in nonprofit that I am right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure you're right. Like that paradigm shift and just how much it's been, become accepted even in the last five years it really yeah, so can true. help and with that. I'm so honored to witness this change, right? Mm -hmm. I work with young adults or young professional college students. So the common theme is, oh, I'm seeing this person. Uh, he's so great. He's also seeing a therapist. So seeing a therapist means this person is working on him, her or themselves, right? It mm -hmm. does not bring this negative association or oh, something wrong with you or therapy for crazy uh, people, right? Or another thing is like I ask uh, my partner to go to the therapy, they or she them didn't go and we broke up, right? So young folks really have this notion that therapy is helpful, it's accessible, and I feel so honored to work with them because it's like a different notion. And definitely if we're gonna compare mental health, even when I was in grad school, it's changing. But we cannot say there is no obstacles, but it's definitely changing. It's more accessible, it's more diverse, mm -hmm. it's yeah. more needed, yeah. Absolutely, great answer again. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. How has your identity either Racial, ethnic, sexuality, gender, etc., helped or hindered your practice? Yeah, so I'm white, uh, cisgender, right? So, uh, in terms of identity, I'm wearing different hats, right? So that's important to be aware. So, for example, I wear the I'm wearing the hat of immigrants. Of immigrant, I came here. I'm wearing the hat of a person who's been through some discrimination, right, in my country. I'm wearing the hat of being different or being outsider, right, or kind of hiding my lifestyle, right, or feeling scared when somebody uh, was uh, talking about very negatively, right, about my ethnicity, and it was not always safe uh, to say something back, right. Mm -hmm. So I'm wearing that, but it and I also wearing a hat that I may not know everything, right? And if you're going to ask me uh, if I made certain mistakes, right? So kind of revisiting if what I would do differently 10 years ago, um, I definitely noticed that certain things it would be great to do differently, right? Mm -hmm. Or it would be great uh, to go straight talking about systematic racism, right? Or oppression, right? and kind of have direct uh, conversation uh, with my clients that I serve back there. But again, it's always evolving. And I think this year through so many um, social change, uh, it was very turbulent. And with all this 
unknown questions and vulnerability, it came new knowledge or it came new awareness, right, that I did not have like a 10 years ago, right? And I definitely come from the place that I don't know, right? And I like to ask questions. So for example, I've been working with a person of color, right? And I ask uh, this person, how do you feel working with me? Let's kind of notice a big big elephant in the room. Like I'm a white therapist and it's been like right when the social changes uh, was coming and this person share a story that uh, she has kind of traumatic experience like uh, communicating uh, uh, with a uh, Russian speaking provider, with a medical provider. And this story was so valuable because I validated and right there we connected and the trust started building. If I would not ask this question, I assume, oh, I'm this great therapist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm so tuned. Um, uh, uh, this, this client should be fine, right? I, I can miss so many things, right? And I also come from the point, I'm not the only therapist, right? And uh, people may have different preferences. So what would work for this specific client? What would be helpful for the client? Yeah. And I kind of like to go kind of read between the lines. So how does it for you to share that with me? Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. Just re reminding clients or not even reminding them because many, the reason they stay away from mental health is because yeah. they don't feel like they will have yeah. options, Yeah. but telling them that they have so much power. Yeah, sure. That's such a big part of the treatment. Yeah, And again, coming back to my personal story, my grandparents award World War second, they miraculously escaped from the Nazis, like two days, if they would not escape, they would probably be in a Gatton concentration camp, right? So yeah. I have the story, right? But it doesn't mean that I know everything, right? So I come to the place like I may not know and it's okay to ask. And the fact of intergenerational trauma, I love this phenomenon. Not that I love it's happened to somebody, right? But <laughs> I, I like the definition, right? Because mm -hmm it's so true. Like I like, for example, I still sometimes have nightmares about World War Second, right? So I cannot only imagine and I cannot fully imagine, right? What person of color maybe go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, obviously, with all of this that you carry, and just in general, what are your go to self care activities? And what do you what do you make sure you implement in your routine? Yeah, yeah. So Self-care definition transform as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so going back to my graduate school, I don't think I heard this term. Or maybe I was not paying attention. Like I don't remember. Our memory is very selective, right? So working while I was working in outpatient substance abuse program, again, I don't think it was emphasized the self-care. And personally, me, I didn't know what this term means right so when i start working on the crisis call line i start hearing this term more and more but again for me it was okay doing something fun for myself kind of not something consistency oh maybe going doing many patty or doing this coloring <laughs> or doing this bubble bath right so i think when i start uh, running my private practice I, if, 
if I really want to, I ask my question, if I really want to sustain in this field, make it sustainable, right? I have to come up with a system, right? So the self-care become like systematic uh, activity that I do on a regular basis. Not only when the sky is blue, oh, today I feel like I'm going to do something, <laughs> but to Yesterday, I didn't feel it, so I'm not going to do it. No, <laughs> because as a psychotherapist, we are the instrument, right? As a piano, right? If the piano is not attuned, the sound's going to be not going to be beautiful, right? So we have to be attuned ourselves or track uh, our, our needs first, because if we cannot be for others, how we can we be for somebody else, right? So I make sure I have a schedule that works for me, work for my needs, right? So I see my own therapist, so I have space for myself. So I don't want to take the space from my clients, like sharing something in Anshala and taking time from their own uh, session and time, right? Uh, I do uh, training to enhance my clinical skills. I do physical activity. I do fun activity. And it's become like a structure. Mm -hmm. So I don't second guess in if I need to do certain things because I know if I'm not going to do it, there is no surprise that's going to yeah. happen. No miracles going to happen, right? And I, I bring this to my clients, right? Mm -hmm. Don't wait that you're going to Feel like you want to do something for yourself do and it's like a fact of snowball with a fact of stress if it's constantly constantly we feel overwhelmed so the same thing for uh self-care right or something that we do consistently for ourselves so it's also the opposite of snowball effect it definitely mm -hmm. impacts the way how we feel it's bringing a better version of ourselves at work, relationship, right? Mm. Anywhere. Yeah, it, it's such a kindness to be able to rely on yourself and to have yeah. consistency and know, like you said, like, oh, you know, I'm feeling a little crappy today. I'm still going to do this thing. I'm not going to do it great, but I'm still going to do it. And I'm still going to keep that. Yeah. I'm still going to keep that groove in my brain so I that I know right. I can do it. So true, right? Or knowing that I'm going to have mm -hmm. my weekly session with my therapist that mm -hmm. I'm going to tackle my insecurities, my challenges, right? Stress, anxieties, right? Whatever it might be. And just knowing that I'm not alone in this. I have space for myself and we're going to work through this. That's I bring to my work. When the ask, client asks, oh, how often do we have to meet? I said, I would recommend weekly. So, you know, no matter what's going on with you, you're going to have a space, you're going to have a mirror and we're going to get through this together mm -hmm. we're gonna work on that let's create some hope which is a healing factor that mm -hmm. we can have between the session absolutely so in the vein of self-care what is a guilty pleasure of yours we, we mean like um something that you're embarrassed that you're now yeah. going to tell us all uh <laughs> something you enjoy that you're maybe a little bit embarrassed about hmm, embarrassed i don't think that i'm embarrassed so badly but kind of kind of so, <laughs> sure. so it was like different things so i remember while i was working in the city uh do you know this uh series everybody loves raymond mm -hmm. yes 
so they made it uh, distinct in Russian with a Russian actor and uh, Russian character. And I've been watching this <laughs> pretty much. And it, it definitely made me laugh so much. And it that is incredible. That's <laughs> great. <so> hilarious. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, another kind of uh, guilty pleasure. Uh, while I was growing up, I was watching have you watched this at uh, the grassy show oh yeah yeah so mm-hmm. while i was growing up i was watching but uh with a subtitle in russian so when i came here i discovered oh my god i can watch it in english so kind of watch it <laughs> <laughs> the, the serious but in english and kind of relieving my childhood oh that's so cool uh-huh. <laughs> okay. oh, another guilty pleasure this is like a really guilty so i'm really um love watching israeli a series on Netflix why I like watching them because they go with the English subtitles and I can hear Hebrew some Yiddish and by the end of the season I can pick up some phrases in Hebrew so it's fascinating because I, cool. I study Hebrew a little bit very uh little exposure like while I was growing up but I never mm-hmm. had a chance to learn it so kind of hearing this language and feel this out un- un- it's more authentic with an English subtitle because I can really hear the characters speaking their own uh, native language and it's fascinating. So when I do, I binge watch. I can watch the nice. whole night if they have a new series. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. that's so cool. I, you never even think about that. Like just how nice it is to be able to hear in the actors and actresses' actual voices. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a and, very and the whole point. idea if they repeat certain phrases like "how are you" stuff like that. Oh my god, I yeah. know this phrase. I know that. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, need, I don't have to have subtitle. I can recognize. Yes. So yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. All right, taking a we're we're heading into the easier, easier just kind of run of the mill questions. Kind of. Do you have a therapy outfit that is your favorite to wear? My favorite that's made me feel comfortable and authentic. I never f- fall in love with the business office clothes. I mm. kind of drag myself to wear <laughs> office clothes while I was working in the clinic. So the whole idea that I can be myself and, you know, I work with young adults, folks, college students or parents, and I can be authentic and my also clothes represent partially who I am. Right. So. Mm. Right. Yeah, and we are moving away from office office uh, casual, thankfully. <laughs> so, some of us. <laughs> I just got to rid of a bunch of my uh, office pants, so yeah. very excited yeah. to have that room. Yeah, I, I heard the joke that office industry got really badly impacted during COVID. Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm sure they definitely had some some loss that they took. Yeah. Or they started producing sweatpants instead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was moving towards sweatpants that still look fancy, you know, before mm-hmm. all of this happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like to call those fashion forward sweatpants. Maybe mm-hmm. like throw a zipper on them, make them yeah. slim fit. I like it. They've maybe got, you know, pockets in the back. Pockets in nice. general. Oh, that's a Give whole me a good podcast. podcast. Yeah. Uh, Yulia, do you have any questions for us? That's a surprise question. Yes, it's a surprise <laughs> question. 
We should put it on our question list. <laughs> we should. Okay. I'm kind of out, out, out my guard. No, I don't. I don't okay. know. <laughs> That's totally okay. <laughs> You're not the first person to answer that way. Put it on the- <sighs> okay. Are there any resources that you feel like everyone should know about? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, since we've been talking about perinatal mental health, right, I would like to share a couple of the resources. So the first mm-hmm. important resource that's uh, great uh, for clients or whether professional or people that would like to increase the awareness of perinatal mental health is Postpartum Support International. It's www.postpartum.net. So they have so many cool like, resources. They have help helpline uh, if People would like to get some emotional support. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also have, uh, if you're a psychotherapist and want to have a certification in perinatal mental health, they have a track for certification. They also have free training in maternal mental health, which is cool. They have psychiatric consult line. They have provider line that the person, the client who's looking for therapies who have a specialty in perinatal mental health, they can really find one because that's important. And um, yeah, so they also have uh, another thing, they also have variety online groups, uh, which so important in perinatal mental health. So any amount of social support is important, right? When we go through something, not to suffer in silence and have another peer who's going through this. Oh, so that's mean. I'm okay or nothing wrong with me because it's common. (laughs) So they have like different variety of groups like fertility challenges, queer and trans parent support groups, birth mom support, black mom connect, dad support, perinatal mood support groups, NACU parents, military mom, pregnancy and infant loss and much more. So that's great. Oh my gosh, that's really great. (laughs) Resource. And a couple of more resources uh, when we're talking about perinatal mental health, it's important to mention uh, breastfeeding. Again, no pressure, I respect uh, with any choice, but a lot of time breastfeeding become the uh, soil for all this inner critic. Um, and it's not because something wrong with your body, but because again, let's normalize it. We are not born uh, with the skill and we need to have proper knowledge proper support, right? And a lot of times we hear like different kind of mixed messages that contradict each other or it's too much information, Dr. Mm-hmm. Google, right? So I like to get support from the trusted source. So I want to share another resources. It's La Leche like International. That's a nonprofit international organization that promotes uh, an advocacy for breastfeeding uh, as as mm. Uh, different information and also what's cool about them you can find your local leader chapter where you live so you can put your zip code and you can find a group of breastfeeding mom uh, that's mm-hmm. going to be right near you or now I know they transition to zoom but hopefully it's gonna it's gonna be in person right so you can meet other families not being uh, isolated and connect with other moms or dads and uh, just talk about it because it's all about dialogue. <laughs> it's all mm-hmm. about dialogue. Yeah. And I also want to share a couple of the, uh, the books that might be helpful. Uh, part of my, another, my specialty is anxiety. We all mm-hmm. 
experience anxiety from time to time, especially if you live in New York City, you're anxious already. Yep. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> right. So I like uh, the specific books. Um, that's very straightforward, easy to read, and easy to understand because I like the simplicity. <laughs> so it's Worry Cure, Seven Steps to Stop Worry from Stopping You. And also another book, When Panic Attacks. When Panic Attacks. Okay. Great. Thank you. All right. That's amazing. Thank you, Yulia. Yulia, what is your favorite breakfast? Okay. My <laughs> breakfast is very specific yeah, and the routine is very specific. I like to have breakfast in a silence in the silence, like when nobody disturbing me. <laughs> so I have my coffee, instant coffee, uh, two spoons of sugar and milk. And I also have my two sandwiches, whole wheat bread with a cream cheese, particular brand. <laughs> What's the particular nice. brand of cream cheese? I just, I want to, I love eating, so... <laughs> And cheese. Uh, yeah. I we love eating that. and cheese. It, it's not Philadelphia. <laughs> for okay. sure. All right, fine. Well. Yeah, I forgot. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I don't, I honestly don't know if I could name another brand of cream cheese outside of Philadelphia. <laughs> also, did you know that that's not, it was never made in Philly? It, yeah. That was just the name put on it because Philadelphia was the classiest place in all the world <laughs> at that time. Oh, wow. And nothing oh, yeah. has changed since then. <laughs> Uh, Yulia, what, ooh, what's something not related to your professional life that you are really excited about? Yeah, this year, I think I got on another level, ice skating. <gasps> what? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, as you know, I folks, I live in Brooklyn, New York, and with all this COVID restrictions, I like, I love going to the theater or watching independent movie, but this outlet was closed. Okay, so... Yeah. I was thinking, okay, where else <laughs> I can do? So uh, um, luckily, a Central Park uh, ice skate rink was open and they also didn't have any limitation because in certain ice skate rink, you can also have like two hours with the COVID regulation. I didn't <sighs> like that because I'm not such a great ice skater and I need time to warm up <laughs> until I'm good, like I have to live. So the Central Park became this outlet for me, like going in the weekends with the family and do ice skating and drink hot uh, cocoa with the popcorn or sandwiches Aww. and seeing the Manhattan in the evening lights. So, and it was really nice. <laughs> and listening to the music while you're ice skating. So I was definitely yeah. feeling like I'm this cool ice skater <laughs> that's amazing that's so cool so what a great year, answer I bought, I bought ice skates so i'm ready for <gasps> yes. the season oh my gosh we definitely will need an update episode yes. on that yeah. <laughs> oh that's awesome all right should we switch to a would you rather yes here's our final would you rather it's which the most important yes the most important question we've asked you thus far Okay. Would you rather you can only read the first page of every book or the last page of every book? Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. First. I think first, because I want to know who is who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who talking about? <laughs> yeah. How about um, you, I, I already read the last page of every book. <laughs> I... Okay, so this can also be my embarrassing thing. I, I read the last couple sentences of each book that I read. First. I know it's weird. 
the last page. Like I, before I finish the book, I do that. And I, I like to like have an understanding of the ending. So I think I'd do the last page. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to read. It was the best of times was the worst of times (laughs) over and over again. I'd like to just know like who got justice and who didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Which time was it? (laughs) Oh, amazing. I think Joanna, I would choose you? the beginning just so then I could mm. like make up my own story. Oh, yes. yes. Uh, yeah. I so. love that. Variation. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Uh, Yulia, thank you so much for joining us. Do you have any other final things to leave us with or thoughts, thoughts. or musings? Uh, no, just want to thank you for all this great experience chatting with you it felt so comfortable and relaxing and it's so exciting to be a part of this journey and again to destigmatize uh the mental health by Mm -hmm. talking to therapists also seeing their own therapist and that's okay and Mm -hmm. we all human we are more than our anxiety depression or challenges Mm -hmm. whatever whatever we experience Heck yeah. All right. Yeah. What a, We feel wonderful about that, by the yeah. way, that this has been a good experience. So cool. Thank you for listening to our show, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate and review us on Stitcher and Spotify. And you can Apple Podcasts. And Apple Podcasts as of <laughs> a couple of days ago. <laughs> it was it was a journey for it was me good to do it it was so. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. A no totally journey and i from what i see <sighs> online it is not a road that you have only traveled it's challenging for a lot of people check us out on instagram at tnd pod or on twitter <laughs> question mark because we just changed it or on twitter at therapist nd pod all one word or visit our website at tndpodcast.com if you would like the ability to vote on questions we ask our guests, access to bonus episodes, and so much more, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. I'm pretty excited because we're going to have some great bonus content coming up yes, we are. soon. Uh, and as always, we'll have our sipping episodes as well. Be prepared to sip with us. On water. On water or tea. Until next time. We are your, your therapist therapists next door. next door. You do that so fast. I'm just racing you now. Bye. Bye. <laughs>